0: Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algema and our stalwart producer Simon Josie to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey to both of you, how you doing?
1: Hi, Nick. Hi, Simon.
2: Hi, hi Dilly. Hi, Nick.
0: Jeez, that's not bad. The rehearsals are paying <laughs> off, folks. Well done. <laughs> We're managing to be able to say hello to each other in an efficient and effective way. Yeah, well... Go team, decades from home. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know about you, but I have, uh, seen my first Christmas market advert uh, as I was driving to work the other day. Uh, so I guess it is soon upon us, the Christmas markets will be opening. Uh, I'm not massively excited. I'm usually more excited about Christmas, but that sort of suggests how busy I am at the moment, but, uh, yeah, are we, are we excited for the return of the Christmas
1: markets I uh, I need to ask you though the two of you do they sell chestnuts in christmas markets here in germany like any form of chestnuts edible ones it's just almonds right and belgian fries
0: oh yeah um maroni i think is what they call them that's the call isn't it heis maroni um so yeah uh ch- chestnuts warming up by an open fire that's the lyric
1: so is it? Is it, Do do they sell them? Like, is it like a sweet thing? Mm-hmm. Is it just not sweet, or is it with sugar? When was I
0: in Nuremberg? Last a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, sort of start of November, I think it was, and they already had the Moroni guy selling them out the uh, the front of the
2: oh.
0: um, one of the markets. Mm-hmm. As you come out of the Hauptbahnhof, there's like an underpass. You go through the underpass and up into the city, and there's like a stand on your left hand side. And they start selling, I think, from about the start of, uh, of November.
1: Okay, so it's a sweet chestnut thing.
0: I think so, okay. as far as I'm aware. I honestly, I don't think I've ever bought them.
1: I, I know it's not a fruit, and the two of you are going to look down on me for saying this. But I have a thing for chestnuts. I can just boil them the, all the live long day. Do you eat them? I do also eat them, yes.
2: Oh. So you don't just boil them?
1: I don't just boil them. I used to roast them, but <laughs> if you don't cut them up properly, you know, like if you don't like cut into the skin properly, the chestnuts will roast and explode. And when warm chestnut explodes in a hot oven, it's very hard to get it out. Mm-hmm. You do not want that. So I switched the technique and I now boiled my chestnuts.
0: Yeah, so they've got to be you've got to cut Down the shell i guess Mm. it is Mm -hmm. and then they're kind of they're soft right
1: not really i mean you can actually cut yourself as i have the past couple of days while trying to uh, like make a bit of a cross on the shell um Mm -hmm. because the chestnuts are very like it's a very glossy cover and the knife kind of slips off but there is a little little tool for this you can put the chestnut in it and then just press the two handles together and it there's a there's a there's a cutting device which i haven't seen yet here
2: is is there a good payoff for all that work that you're doing because like my reference is macadamia nuts and if you've ever tried to open a macadamia nut that takes mm. a lot of a lot of effort right but the nut is yeah it's kind of okay but uh, yes dilly have you got a question
1: no, it's just, I was just showing you my two thumbs. I, I can't use them for anything because they're very sore from opening up all the warm chestnuts. Uh, for one thing, they're burnt because chestnuts have to be peeled when they're warm because otherwise the the skin won't come off. And also, it kind of gets under the nails and it hurts. So yesterday, I couldn't even peel my orange decently.
0: Oh, what a what a tragedy. That is gods i am going to write with the times about this
1: well i'm sorry i didn't open the segment uh, Nick, with a story about things i threw up with
0: well we could and i was quite sick last week but i I save the listeners after i was horrifically sick but let's not let's not recover territory that we covered last week all over his bed linen yeah yeah (laughs) i mean let's just leave that leave that where it is do you know what listener i tell i tell my my erstwhile co-host stuff in the uh whatsapp there's no no kind of expectation that they're going to just share it liberally with the podcast audience but dilly you know dilly's a a loose cannon um i'm just gonna say <laughs> I, was gonna, I was gonna say dilly my uh my kind of question is why are you doing all this bloody work just buy some from a stand like there's loads there's going to be loads of heist and moroni stands opening in the next couple of days surely just buy some why are you roasting your own chestnuts like some kind of medieval sort of chef or something i don't know like what's going on there what's all that about
1: i have never seen these stands i have never come across heiser maronen or Heise maroni stands uh, i wish i'd known about them the only things i see seen a christmas market are the 10 glue wine stands um, yeah. belgian fries langos which is a hungarian fried mm-hmm. fried thing with cheese mm-hmm. uh, and just, uh, ah, yeah, during a bratwurst. That's it. I've never seen, I've never seen uh, chestnuts in a Christmas market. And the other thing is, I have been thinking about it. If I had been alive in the medieval times, my job would have been to be the chestnut collecting person. These trees water themselves. I wouldn't have to work in spring and summer. And I would just mm-hmm. like, you know, go around collecting chestnuts um, uh, and you know, I would have a like nice breezy outdoor job.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I I think I'd probably die of bubonic plague, but that's just my thought about what would happen to me in the Middle Ages. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I guess uh, I mean every market's different, right? Every market has a different selection of things, and there's things like here in in Augsburg, you're going to get damp noodle, but you wouldn't get that in Nuremberg, and you
1: no, get dry that.
0: and vegler in Nuremberg, but you probably wouldn't get that in Frankfurt and and and, and so forth. So I'm not so surprised that you wouldn't see them, but I guess there's some regional options. There'll probably be more Eastern European delicacies available. The oh, Langosh, yes. though, I mean, we can, yes. get, we can get that here, too. They're, they're definitely on sale here.
1: Um, e- talking about Eastern European delicacies, so I've been to the Weissenfels uh, Christmas market uh, the two years I've been here. And one thing is a fried apple rings with powdered sugar on it.
0: Oh, yeah, they are very good. They are very good. Are you getting all this stuff in Bonn, Simon?
2: Um, I, I, see, look, he, stop it. St- stop it. Don't pick <laughs> this on me. Is like where, this is where we find out that
0: Simon never leaves his house. Simon, I don't even know if uh, the only reason I know Simon lives in Germany is I've visited him, but I'm not entirely sure. I, he uh, look, here. <laughs> I have
2: been to the Christmas markets in Aachen, which are quite famous. Mm -hmm. And last year, Mm -hmm. we went to the Christmas markets in Koblenz, which Mm -hmm. are also quite famous. And that's a cool little city, if you've never been there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of nice, but it's kind of (laughs) cold, you know, standing Mm -hmm. around outside. It's like, yeah, okay, I could do this once or twice, but it's not Mm -hmm. something like I'm super crazy about. Mm -hmm. And I always tend to be the designated driver. So, yeah, sort of, yeah, just the food for me
0: yeah, I go, but I don't want to spend an entire, like we were planning the Christmas party at the office and everyone's like, oh yeah, we gonna just go to the Christmas market. We'll just eat at the Christmas market. We'll hang out at the Christmas market. And I was like, look guys, let's just either meet there or go after going somewhere else. Let's not spend three hours standing around in a Christmas market. Cause I just find that a really massive waste of time, to be honest. I like the vibe, the Christmassy vibe. It's nice to, it's maybe if you're going to have a have a look round and, and maybe a couple of glue vines that's fine but after that point like what else is that they do i'm not getting on the carousel it's not a lot to do once you've once you've eaten yeah. and drank something yeah. so I, I totally get that vibe and even the drinks are a bit give or take i'm not a glue wine fan
1: it's very really sweet eh? it just it,
0: it's it's too sweet mm. always gives us heartburn but i i like anything that's got amaretto in it so that's fine but it's that thing of like, do you know when you get an Irish coffee and then some lunatic dumps a load of whipped cream in the top and you're like, no, what I want is coffee and alcohol. Those are the two things I want. I don't want any other <laughs> extras. But you'll get like a, I'll have like something that's maybe a bit different or it'll be a different kind of option from the menu on the glue wine stand. And then you can see them gr- grabbing for the aerosol of <gasps> whipped cream. Oh, like, you've,
1: got, you've given me an idea. A very lovely listener. What's that? Uh. Dare I say her name? Hi, cat. Uh, Sent me for my birthday a lovely uh, drinking chocolate, a tin of drinking chocolate. It's heavenly. And now I'm going to make myself some warm milk, dissolve some of the chocolate in it, and give it a good heap of whipped cream. Why would you speak up against whipped cream?
0: I've no problem with whipped cream. In its place, it's fine. And in a hot chocolate, it makes a lot of sense. But I just don't want it in... Like, I, an Irish coffee, no thank you. Um, or like, I don't know, I don't want to mix alcohol Isn't and Isn't that cream. your that national like
1: pastime, a, making trifle, Isn't that like sherry and whipped cream and custard and yeah, everything
0: else? I mean, it is and, and, and that's probably why I hate it. But it's like, the like my mum used to make it and god bless her you know she's, she, yeah, she, she does too. like to make a trifle but but like the bit at the bottom was just like pure sherry and I'm I can remember <laughs> being like seven years old just being off my face yeah
1: just same by like, oh, my mum lady cheaper. fingers that Lats have been sherry, soaked yeah. in
0: sherry yeah oh yeah I don't I don't need that in my life and sherry's not the greatest alcohol anyway it's certainly not a starter <laughs> alcohol not at not seven years <laughs> of age seven year old
2: kids what, what
1: was have you had trifles Simon
2: of course, yeah. I mean, I'm not super keen on trifle. I'm, I mean, there are other things that I get more excited about at Christmas, like a decent Christmas cake with mazaban icing, yeah. and um, I really like mince pies. Mm-hmm. And okay, I don't want to trigger anyone here. Stollen, I quite like without cheese. Boo, boo,
0: Stollen cheese season, you sucker!
2: Come on. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Get with the program.
0: <laughs> I know it's stolen cheese season only because I've been inundated over the weekend with people sending me photos of <laughs> on Twitter of uh, of their cheese and stolen escapades and then having to bat away the variety of different people who are like, eh, cheese and stolen sounds disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, you just don't know. You just don't know how good it is.
1: Yeah. And you're like, I'm the cult leader. You're like a cult leader when it comes to stolen and cheese.
0: I've got a weird cultish charisma. What can I say? Um, At least I use it for good uh, at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, so I I guess I'm looking forward to the arrival of the Christmas markets, but only for an hour, and then I'll be kind of done with it for for another year. But I I like the sound of Koblenz. Sounds like a good one. I've looked at some pictures there. Seems quite nice. I like to find an interesting uh, Christmas market. But um, obviously the biggest Christmas market in Germany is in uh, Nuremberg, my former stomping ground. And, uh, as I was flicking through the, um, the various local newspapers, I was looking at the, um, Augsburger Algamine. No, was it was the Augsburger. No, it was the Nürnberg and is the one I was reading, which is the local newspaper. And they had a story about a sheep parade on Sunday that goes through the Hauptmarkt where they have the famous Christmas market and they're setting up for. But apparently this happens every year where there's two grazing grounds for sheep on either side of the city and the fastest way to get them from one side of the city to the the other is not to transport them in any way shape or form it's to walk them through the city so on a sunday usually on a sunday very early in the morning the shepherds walk their flock through the city and uh, there's lots of very odd photographs of of kind of bemused looking tourists (laughs) seeing just loads of sheep parading through the city but what was interesting about it is not just the sheep it's the fact that what they're used for, they're effectively used as lawn mowers. Mm-hmm. So they take them to places like verges, sides of roads, things like that, and they just eat all the grass. Clever. And then they take them to a, to a grazing spot. And then if they're needed in other places, they'll, they'll take a few um, out and, and walk them over. And I thought that was a grass, great idea. I'm like, maybe I need to buy a sheep.
1: Can I share something there? Mm-hmm. So um, in Sri Lanka, uh, we always had like a bit of a garden uh, with the house, and my father wasn't always very keen on mowing the grass. And there were people around us in the village had goats and cows, and so he'd get people <laughs> to come and to tie up idea. their cow in the garden in the in in the front bit. and uh, by the end of the day, you it's eaten it it it's, it cuts the grass. It just cut the grass.
0: Yeah. Maybe not Maybe not as evenly as you would like.
1: It is a pretty even job, actually, because there's like, it seems to have worked. And you can also have like the odd goat tied up in the garden. And it gets rid of like mm. all the branches that you pruned off some trees. It's, it's good stuff. I can completely see where the sheep people are coming from.
0: The sheep people? Why? <laughs> I like werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a sheep person. They must
1: have a sheep committee, like, you know.
0: I mean it's Jeremy, yeah. right? I guarantee there's some kind of committee. The somewhere. There'll be lots of forms being filled out.
1: <laughs> the sharp over Oberme-
0: <laughs> <Do> you- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Guaranteed. You uh, know it's yeah, the yeah. case. That'll be form three B point six or yeah. whatever. There's a sheep the sheep grazing yeah. form for yeah. Nurnberg.
1: And and the the shepherds probably had to like fill in a form and say how many sheep they've contributed with to the flock and yeah.
0: Well, it's like, I think, do you know how there used to be, there used to be that saying when uh, smartphones came out and people would be like, there's an app for that. I think in Germany, it's like, there's an amp for that. There's (laughs) definitely a government department somewhere. Oh, there's an amp for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really? Yeah. yeah, For like burnt toast. Yep. Yep. There's uh, someone who comes out and checks your burnt toast (laughs) to make sure it's not so carcinogenic. Yeah. Would not surprise me for a second.
1: No. No.
0: I mean, we talked about sheep for about five minutes and weirdly, Simon's not said a single thing. Do you think he's avoiding the conversation? given that he's an expert in that particular.
1: Didn't you have you know, something with sheep, Simon? Or am I reading too much into things?
0: He always has something with sheep.
2: <laughs> I, I saw this topic in the script and I thought, oh, here we go. It's so obvious. Just trying to provoke and get some sort of a reaction out of me. I
0: honestly thought you'd be interested. I honestly thought you'd be interested, but apparently well, not.
2: It, the only thing I do, I do think about it is that when I was a kid, God, have I talked about this before when i was a kid i remember when we were travelling from like town to town in rural new zealand quite often in the middle of summer there'd be large herds of sheep being moved along the road mm-hmm. like and and it just sort of stopped and i don't know why it stopped because it used to be a massive thing and like and it's just no longer ever it's, it's not there anymore and I, I don't know why that happened but it was a it's really typical characteristic of of a summer drive in um, in my childhood was mm-hmm. you know going through uh, a, a like really massive mm. not your bloody two or three sheep like a really massive flock of sheep did i say herd of sheep before goodness me i'm trying to pretend to be disinterested in sheep really
0: <laughs> but you can't you can't hide your love uh, you can't hide genetics my friend um, but no, it's the same in it's the same in, in Newcastle you, if you're made a freeman of the city you have the right to graze your cattle on the town moor. There's big town moors in the middle of the centre of Newcastle. So the cows leaving and returning are a sort of signal of the changing seasons. So when the cows arrive, you know it's it's heading towards spring, and when they get put up and uh, or taken away and put into um, cow sheds, then that's the sign it's sort of coming up for Christmas. So yeah, I I, I do like that aspect mm. of it, and you get a lot of that obviously in rural Bavaria. So. There's a lot of like very obvious changing seasons.
1: So where I come from we have um, in the church days this uh, person called Danny Uncle and Danny Uncle has still a herd of buffaloes. It's probably not the same herd of buffaloes but it's a herd of buffaloes and he makes a curd so it's like a very thick yogurt kind of thing made out of buffalo milk and he sells it and not many people know about it. When we got off the school van um, when we were kids we used to have to wait by the roadside till like someone took away the buffaloes that were blocking everything Uh, much like uh, simon's experience with sheep but maybe a little different too we didn't love them that much but (laughs) (laughs) hey they are scary animals like with huge horns you don't want to stand around and pet them
2: hey sheep can be pretty nasty
1: can they
0: I do like how we've basically had the same experience, but in three completely <laughs> different places.
1: With with locally with locally available ingredients.
0: Yeah, yeah locally <laughs> sourced ingredients. That's what you like. Um, I'm I'm afraid we're going to have to move off off Simon's favourite topic of sheep and onto some some serious business. People, there's some important budgeting issues that we need to okay. discuss. But before I go into the detail of this next story. I've got a question for you both. What's the largest amount of money you've ever lost? Not lost in gambling or given to somebody, but like just lost.
1: I, I once lost 7,000 rupees, which is probably like 350 euros or something.
0: 350 euros? No, no, Holy no, shit. not
1: 350. I meant 350 <laughs> when I said 350. <laughs> considering uh, considering uh, what's happening to the Sri Lankan uh, rupee, that is my wild guess. It's may, I may be exaggerating a little, but I lost it because uh, I was in a tuk-tuk and someone stole my handbag. Or he was on a motorbike, oh. so I'm assuming. Yeah, that's the largest I've lost. It's not much though, but I mean, in Sri Lankan terms, it's it was quite a bit.
0: It's an it's enough. It's enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. I can't remember ever losing. A, like I've lost tenors and and and. I, th- I remember one night pulling being really pissed at the bar and pulling some like someone out my wallet and then when I went to pay I'd lost 50 euros so that's no. definitely yeah I'd like obviously Hoods. pulled it out of my yeah. wallet Went yeah, yeah it stung a little bit so that's probably the largest amount I,
2: I don't lose money I tend I tend to find it I find all sorts of scraps around the house I do the washing and so I'm always getting like <laughs> 10 euros out of people's pockets and that's how I live basically
0: I thought you were going to say there was one time I went to Nuremberg and I found 50 euros in a pub and I was like no my money (laughs) that's where it was Um, okay well I mean I think we've we've done okay I mean 50 euros isn't a great great amount of money uh, necessarily in the grand scheme of things 350 clearly is smaller than than 50 and Simon uh, it turns out is the vortex or the end of the vortex where all our money seems to disappear (laughs) he's finding it in the in the washing machine, but, um, spare a thought then for the German government, as they, they sort of woke up last week and realized that there was a bloody big hole in their national budget as the scale of 60 billion euros missing from their budget. And it wasn't that they'd particularly lost it in a, um, a disastrous piss head like mistake like me, or had it stolen from a tuk-tuk as with Dilly. Unlike us normal folks who might go sort of hunting through our old coats and down the back of the sofa for any lost money. This particular 60 billion gap is produced by the Ample Coalition's Lack of planning, I guess, or, or poor planning when it comes to their finances, because last week the Bundesverfassungsgericht, which is the constitutional court in Karlsruhe, ruled that the government's annual budget had a major flaw. Originally, there was a plan afoot by politicians which was uh, attempting some creative accountancy and the aim was to move money that had been earmarked for corona aid and just take that money and put it into a different pot marked new climate and transformation fund and that was the general idea and some of you might be wondering why this is such a big issue after all it shouldn't be a problem for governments to just move money around to fund important projects well If you're asking yourself that question, the simple answer in Germany is no, no. In Deutschland, it sadly is quite difficult because way back in 2009, as the world was rocking to the sounds of major international banks collapsing around our heads, Germany made this really bizarre decision and they created what was now known as the Schuldenbremse, which is debt break. And this essentially prevents any German government from operating a structural deficit. Since 2016, I think it is, you're not allowed to have any deficits. Uh, And no state is allowed to run a deficit since I think 2020. And this effectively forces the German government to balance the books and not take on any more debt. And the whole idea was if you can prevent the governments from taking on debt. You'll reduce the national debt and everyone will be quids in. Now, a lot of European governments around that time in, in the late 2010s, especially in the UK fell in love with this idea of austerity and the austerity policies that basically meant hacking and slashing public budgets in order to bail out banks and balance the economy. So we're taking taxpayers money to sort of fix the, the global economy. Um, and it's never worked by the way. There's a great book by Mark Blythe, the, I think he's the professor of economics at Brown university called austerity, a history of a bad idea. And it's a good, it's a good book that sort of goes through the ludicrous nature of this, this idea, but. Even though it's never worked, a lot of governments decided this is the policy that we're going to put into action. And it certainly happened in Britain and has had a disastrous impact. But as far as I can tell, Germany's the only country that went so far as to not only start using the policy of austerity, but then mm-hmm. actually put it into their constitution, into the Grundgesetz, which means now the court in Karlsruhe, the constitutional court, has a responsibility to make sure the government's budgets meet the Schuldenbremse. And what it effectively means is you're stuck within a very strict budget. And that obviously brings us to the 60 billion euros. The court pointed out last week, moving money from one budget to another is the same as basically incurring debt. That's essentially what they've said. And if you take out a loan, that money has to be spent within the same year the loan was taken. Same with the budget. If you make a budget, it has to be spent within that time. Which is um, I don't know seems a bit batshit to me. So I don't know what are you thinking. How how are you both uh, budgeting? Are you any better than
2: Germany?
1: Um, Simon, would you like to go first?
2: No, I, I I'd really like you to go first, actually, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: I think listeners, we we have an answer, <laughs> which is to say, not very good.
1: <laughs> Considering my income, I, I think I'm wonderful at budgeting, and the fact. Very thankful to the fact that the train ticket has cost only forty nine euros the past couple of months. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think when you're you're not making a lot of money, you become very good at budgeting. You do, at right? Least that was my yeah, experience. Yeah,
1: I I cook my own food. I very rarely eat out unless I'm in Frankfurt, and that's because my boyfriend likes eating out more than he likes cooking. Mm. Sometimes.
0: Hey, if he's paying, right?
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> idea
0: dear sweet man, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Simon? Are you, are you got the skills to literally pay the bills?
2: Paying bills is, has never been a problem. When I was a student, I didn't have a lot of money, and so I'm, I'm sort of used mm. to not living beyond my means. But I've heard criticism, and maybe if, if you've read this book that, that you mentioned, um, Nick, that it's misleading to consider that the government's budget is somehow – just a larger version of a domestic budget um mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. i think it's very mm-hmm. very dangerous to to do that and and obviously the politicians often like to use this kind of language because or well, they assume that we can all understand you know oh it's you know you, you this is how you budget at home and that's how we budget in the government but the conditions are completely different and what mm-hmm. the government can do and how the the government can generate the income and it needs for the services it has to deliver. It's completely different to, to running a household budget.
0: Mm-hmm. But this is the language they use. I mean, I remember distinctly George Os- Osborne, the former chancellor of the Exchequer in the sort of early 2010s, same things like, Oh, the, 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 the national credit card was the term that he'd use. And, and I think Mark Blythe had pointed out quite clearly that, you know, there's a difference between your credit card and the and, and national government's debt in that they can raise taxes. And that was kind of the point that exactly. was the overall that he made. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing that's ultimately insane about this situation that we find ourselves in, in Germany, in that in Britain, one of the w- w- weird things about our constitution that I do actually like is because parliament is sovereign, no parliament can tie the hands of a future parliament. So no law can just stop the government from functioning. And so that's the kind of the baseline. But what you seem to have in Germany is like an intentional tying of the hands, and it's and it and it's very German, right? And this is what I was thinking on on the walk home, and I was thinking about this because I'm an exciting person who thinks about the Schuldenbremse when he's walking home. But the the thing that I was thinking is, isn't it mental that how German this is, where you would have the infantilization of society as a whole, if you're not over 40 years old, then you're just a child. That's Mm. the sort of base concept. And you've heard like insults towards Annalena Baerbock because she was only 40 years old and didn't know Mm. anything about the world, even though she was an actual adult. And And on a larger scale, it's like, well, governments can't be responsible for the budget. We need to have a court to tell us they need to have oversight and they need to sign a little book and then you tick all the dots and fill in all the forms. And it feels like really m- malicious in that sense.
2: Is, is that a recent thing? Is that a post second world war thing? Is that a, you know, how it's, we've often heard that the, the proportional representation system that was implemented in, in Germany was really to prevent the rise of, uh, another Nazi party. And I'm just wondering, is it the same sort of approach? or does it date before the second world war this 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 approach no no this
0: is this is very recent very modern recent german history it's the so basically what happens in what happens when in 2007 and the banks start falling apart and uh, you have the knock-on effect coming from america Mm. with the, the the mortgage crisis and all of this stuff and it starts wrecking the economy britain's the first country to go well actually we need to bail out the banks we need to actually intervene in the economy, which is that since the sort of seventies, when Keynesian economics became like the, the worst thing you could do, no government should intervene in the economy, it should be free market, no regulation, the banks know what they're doing, the economy will fix itself and everything will be happy and uh, no, no intervention. And then we ha- have that for, for a period of time, which does create growth. And then we get to a financial crisis that people have forgotten exist. There's literally people in the sort of 80s who are going like, there's no, we don't need to worry about financial crises anymore. It's never going to happen. This new system we have is much better functioning. The market will prevail, et cetera, et cetera. And then they hit 2007 like a brick wall and Britain's the first country to go, well, look, we're going to intervene and we're going to bail out the banks and we're going to try and secure the economy. We can't have runs on a bank. It's the first run on a bank in 150 years in Britain. So you can see the panic that's sort of setting in. And the first people to complain about Britain doing that are America and Germany, Angela Merkel's government's like, well, this is a terrible idea. That's in 2007, 2008. By 2009, everyone's switched and gone, oh no, actually Gordon Brown's got the right idea. And this, why this idea that Prime Minister Gordon Brown saved the economy uh, of the world, essentially, that's debatable. It definitely saved the British economy. But you have this idea that after you've bailed out the banks, well, what do you do? Well, are the banks going to give us the money back? Maybe is the sort of big answer. Potentially, they seem much more interested in paying bonuses to people, Mm. but it's fine. They will pay back the money eventually, but you still have a hole in your economy. What do you do? Well, you just stop investing in things. So you contract the public economy and the public state um, as much as possible. And if you didn't know about that, and then you look at Germany now, And you look at the holes and the issues and the infrastructure problems and the digitalization and all of these things that we are constantly talking about, this is where it flows from this belief or this political decision that's made in the late two thousands that is, we want a balanced budget more than we want anything else and we want, we want, we don't want any more debt and this fear of debt and this thought that debt is the worst thing possible. And that is a very modern idea. And it's another one of those. And I I know we can bang on about grand coalitions and the SPD and the CDU and who's to blame, but it's another Merkel decision that comes back to haunt us repeatedly, which is you can't invest in things. If you're constantly trying to save as much, much as possible, you can't invest in enough in education. You can't do digitalization effectively. You can't do all these things without investing state money. And so that's kind of where we are. And that's the that's essentially where it sort of comes from and and where it flows from. In fact, the court is being criticized as it being a severe interpretation of the law. They're very severely saying this is exactly how it should be. But in my mind, that's kind of what the court's there for. You ask the court, Is this is this legal? Is this right? Is this the way we should be doing it? Is it to the, to the Grundgesetz and they've said no in this incident quite severely, but it puts them in this weird position because they're now like the arbiters of what is okay to budget and what isn't. And they're not elected in the way that governments are. And so it kind of creates a, not quite a constitutional crisis, but now the question's being asked, do we even need the Schilden-Bremser anymore? But I don't know what, what you guys think. What do you think the court made the right decision? I mean, what do you think about all the stuff I've kind of witted on about
2: I'd like to well, I'd hope that the, the court's decision was based on law. And they can only work within the law very much. They're so. not making law. It's the parliament, the 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 the, the assembly that makes law. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I wouldn't want to point fingers at the no, 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 at no. the court. It it begs the question though, is it a good law? And I, but that's I think where you started from, Nick, right? Mm,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually a terrible law. I think it's badly written. I think it doesn't really do what we want. And it suggests that reducing the national debt is far more important than investing in the future. And when we look at the issues that we have in Germany, and there's a thing that I tell my classes when we talk about this topic of austerity in Britain, and it's something that comes out of Mark Bly's book. And it's something that that my German students don't like to hear, and I don't like to say, but it is a fact. The only party post 1929 in Germany that was anti-austerity was, anyone want to guess which party post 1929
2: was anti-austerity? I know where you're going with this.
0: Exactly. We all know, right? I and mean, then we have to say the national socialists were the anti-austerity party. And there's a reason why a lot of people looked on that as a favorable position to take because everyone else, including the, the government at the time was, was instituting austerity in particular ways and in particular places. Fairly legitimate means, but also illegitimate means, and it leads to this. You carve out the state, you take away things from people, you take away benefits. or you take away opportunities. You take away like minimum wage, never going to rise. We can't have that, but we also can't tax people. So we can't raise taxes. We can't pay people a fair wage and. People begin to feel it, and as soon as you start having the middle classes feeling it, then they get very angry because they're like, "Well, what was the point of all this work if work doesn't pay anymore?" And then you have inflation where prices start rising, it just creates a very dangerous situation where people start looking for extreme answers to extreme problems because the people who are in power don't or offer them. simple
2: answers to complex questions. Yeah,
0: Pot- potentially, but but this is this is where Finance Minister Christian Lindner sort of pops up because he's a big proponent of the Schuldenbremser. And he said last week, we now have to make more effective policies with less money. And I'm like, it is that thing of like, when all the signs point you in one direction and you just walk the other way, that's what it kind of feels like. It's one of those moments where the evidence is mounting that this is not an effective rule to have in place. And he's already ruled out any chance of the debt break changing. But the fact that he's the finance minister, and we've discovered there's now, because of this ruling, a sixty billion hole in the finances. There was calls yesterday, quite legitimately, that Lindner should probably resign because if any other finance minister made that kind of error or made that kind of decision that led to this position, they would probably have to resign. But I mean, God knows what that. Would happen to the government so maybe that's why he's not being pressured to leave do,
2: do we have any idea how much 60 billion represents in terms of the 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 annual federal budget
0: i mean i mean we're talking trillions right so i mean it's it's if we're talking about the overall national budget it's a small part but it's a massive part in the sense that this money was going and earmarked to uh, energy transitions and climate policies and it was the full funding for all of those ideas now this is where the shit gets real mental right where we've got all of this stuff happening there is ways we could claw the money back mm-hmm. and the choices that need to be made now if they're not going to get rid of the schuldenbremse has become very difficult because where do you take the money now the big one is take the money from child benefits that's the the big one uh, um that's one of the, a lot of a lot of kind of cdu politicians fdp politicians think is a good option but there's also money and subsidies that were given for literally for harm, what they're called harmful subsidies in German, and these these very particular subsidies could be reduced since somewhat um, Umweltschadlicher Subvention is the term. So literally, kind of like harmful subsidies that pay for company cars, subsidies for company cars, subsidies for diesel, subsidies for housing construction, and the idea would be, well, can we not just reduce these subsidies? And Linda has again turned around and said, well, that sounds like a stealth tax, which I guess it is, but at the same time, if we can't raise taxes, we can't take the money from here. We can't take it from there. We've got this hole in the economy, but it gets even weirder than that, because on top of that, the actual Bundesverfassungsgericht in Karlsruhe, this constitutional court in 2021 ruled that climate precautions are needed to protect future generations. And they said in 2021, we therefore need huge investment in renewable energies, energy efficiency, and hydrogen. They actually made a ruling on that. And then this happens and you're just like, what is going on in this country? Like, it just seems like it's in knots. It's just a bureaucratic nightmare. So I don't know whether we're ever going to get out of this or how we're going to get out of it, but maybe, maybe we need, I don't know about you guys. This is my suggestion. Maybe we need to go to Simon's um, washing room and just have a route around in the back of his washer maybe, maybe down the back of his sofa, maybe we can find 60 billion billion euros in that way.
2: Well, to date, it's been an endless source of funding for me. So I I think it's a great idea.
0: Get on the phone to Robert Harbeck, mate. Come on, chop chop.
2: So not so long ago, we talked about a characteristic feature of Germany's towns and cities, which are cigarette vending machines, you might recall that. Another thing you're likely to see in Germany are public bookshelves. Uh, These are often purpose-built steel bookcases with acrylic glass doors, approximately 50 by 50 centimetres and 230 centimetres tall. However, uh, you may have seen other structures repurposed as public bookshelves, such as old public telephone booths. So how do these public bookshelves operate for the general public? The instructions are very simple. Anyone can take a book from a public bookshelf or leave one of their own. There's no registry nor obligation to return the books borrowed, but the principles of civility apply. And therefore it is uh, it is nice if you either leave one of your own or return the one you took.
0: Yeah. I've, I mean, I've seen these public bookshelves around. There's a couple in, in Augsburg for sure. I've always wondered though, like where was is this is this an idea that originated in Germany is this a particularly german tradition
2: okay so i mean i tried to find out whether it was a german idea and and i did a bit of a, a web crawl and the only thing i could find was that according to wikipedia the idea of establishing bookcases uh, that should be accessible uh, to the public at any time developed in the 1990s and actually started as art installations there's a, a reference to a performance by the artistic duo Clegg and Gutmann in 1991 for the first time in Graz, also in Mainz, and the first bookcases were used as a free open air library in Darmstadt at the end of the 1990s. Oh wow, so they are pretty—they are pretty old, then. Oh it, yeah, the idea is quite old, and and it's 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 not uniquely German. And I couldn't find an answer a definitive answer to the question like is it a german idea i mean it's it's a big thing in german i'm going to talk about that in a second but it clearly is a big thing in, in other countries as well but mm-hmm. where did it really come from and i i have to say I, I couldn't find out where the idea originated from in the first place so if you haven't seen one of these bookshelves you know where you know where can you find them well actually you must be blind because according to wikipedia and Wikipedia actually has a suspiciously up-to-date list, I would say. There are 3,354 public bookshelves in Germany, and I actually checked Wikipedia before we came on air tonight, and it said that this was uh, information up-to-date since last Saturday, the 18th of November. So, yeah, again, that sounds a bit unrealistic to me, but anyway, that gives you an idea of, of just how many of these uh, public bookshelves there are. And of course, I'm not going to read out a list of where where they are. Um, I, I haven't used one of these. I, I see, I know one, there's probably one within half a kilometre from my home, and I know another one probably mm-hmm. about five kilometres from from here. Have, have you guys ever used these public bookshelves?
1: I have. I have used these public bookshelves. Um, on the rare occasion, you find English books there as well. Uh, but uh, like, or like German books. Um, I mean, I read a lot more in English than I do in German. And in Germany, most of these bookshelves have um, like books in German. And uh, like on some rare occasions, I've found like German translations of English books that I've liked, like any Blighton Famous Five stuff, for mm. instance. And then like, you know, it's pure nostalgia that I also want to read it in German. And it sounds so different when I do. So I have a couple of Nancy Drews and Innie Blytons on my bookshelf. I I think they're a really nice phenomenon, just knowing that there are like-minded people uh, within close proximity to you. Because uh, the variety keeps changing if you live close to a bookshelf. It's never the same thing. Every two days it changes. And sometimes you see the people like, you, you meet people because you're like both on either side looking for books or they brought books. They're like, oh my God, you have it in Elizabeth George. And then you talk about detective books and stuff. It's a phenomenon that I only know from Germany. I have never seen it in Sri Lanka. And um, it's a wonder to me that these things don't get vandalized uh, or that the doors don't get broken. Uh, I mean, they stay pretty clean. Have you noticed that? Certainly
2: the ones that I've, Seen around nearby where I live. Yeah, yeah. they, yeah. they, and and the thing I like is I actually see people using them. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: That, that's quite cool. But you know, when I was looking at this and thinking about this story, one of the things that occurred to me was to ask you: Where do you source the books that you like to read, and the languages that you like to read? Because mm-hmm. as as immigrants to a country where a language that's not our own mother tongue is spoken. Mm. Sometimes getting hold of the books and the languages that we like to read in is 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 not so easy. And mm. and I just wondered, what do you do to to solve that problem?
1: Methalia has a pretty good selection of English books and most books that I do want to buy, I can order them at Thalia. Amazon, I found a store online that has a collection of books discarded from university libraries across the UK. And I found some really nice uh, like rare editions <laughs> of like collector's items of Ceylon uh, books on Ceylon back then uh, that these libraries obviously discarded. They've never had any readers because the books are pretty mint. I mean they're they're unused. So there there's there's that. and I love going to secondhand bookshops. I think I've spoken about one in Frankfurt, where you have also like a huge selection of books in English. I mean, when it comes to English books, these are my options, buying mm. things online or going to Thalia. Uh, have, have you ever used a method that is not any of those?
2: What I would say is, I mean, for, for us, we when we were living in, in China in the late 90s, early 2000s, that's when we first started using Amazon. And it was like a lifeline for us. It was so exciting. Mm. And the funny thing mm. is, we were able to import without any problems. You know, some fairly modern critical histories of China, mm. um, written from people outside the China, you know, outside China. I'm sure books that were probably banned in China or Chinese translations would probably be banned in China. Um, and so mm. we were we were importing these books, and we had never had any problems. It was a real, real lifeline. More recently. I've taken to reading a lot of e, e you know um, books on on my e-reader. So mm. yeah, we, we've we've got bookshelves full of books and that's I love bookshelves full of books, but mm. it's becomes a little bit impractical after a while and mm. it's so easy just to I mean Especially if you're commuting, which I'm not anymore. But when I was commuting a lot for work, it it was so much nicer to carry an e-reader than a big, heavy, heavy book.
1: Like a big chunky book. I know what you mean. Yeah.
2: So, so that's sort of how I. But, but again, that's sort of that's an online purchase, right? But that's how I. That's how I do do it now. Yeah, Nick.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, you don't want to buy off Amazon, but it's really hard. Like, Mm. uh, like Talia does have a good selection, but it's always. The most sort of recent stuff that the sort of comic book section's pretty sweet and and I've picked up stuff there, and the kids' book section's pretty good, but like actual adult kind of books, fiction, it's all kind of the most popular stuff, and I've got a very particular taste as I'm sure we've talked about a million times on the show but um so i'm I'm Amazon, I used to use eight books, but then that got bought by Amazon, that was like a a similar thing to what you were saying dilly where you you could buy second-hand copies i really like a second-hand book uh that i'm a big fan of that but like i'm looking around so you know we talked a few months ago about book recommendation and one of the books was germany in the world that i was talking about and i started mm-hmm. that And I've got the hardcover book and it is, it's really heavy. It's really heavy. It's hard to read. It's a pain in the ass to lug around, but I love it. It's a great book. It's Mm -hmm. really, really worth reading. But it's, it's that thing of like, oh God, I wish I had a paperback, you know, I wish I had somebody thumbed through it, you know, but it is what it is. I've never really had a problem finding books uh, because you have things like Amazon, which may not be the sort of bookseller's favourite website, but when you live in a place like Germany and you, your options are limited, it, it can be a bit of a lifesaver in that respect. But with regards to the public bookshelves, I've used them. I think I like Dilly's point about the fact that you can find classics in there and reread them in German. I think it's a good way of it's a it's a really simple free way of learning learning a language, isn't it?
2: I have to stop you there, Nick. Please don't suggest that Enid Blyden is a classic, okay? Just like Enid Blyden's a classic, of course it is. Classic. Of course it is. It kind of is. A famous five, and it really is. It's not like Suetonius, right? That's a classic. Okay, okay. I mean, like we're talking. What was
1: your example of a classic, Simon?
2: Suetonius.
0: He's getting classic, classic. (laughs) But if we're talking about like classic, classic books, you know,
2: Wuthering Heights or something. I mean. Yeah, I mean they're classics as well. Yeah,
1: but but
2: I mean, I'm I'm sorry, I'm being a terrible snob.
1: Yeah, I, I. Aren't you?
0: It's not Suetonius, (laughs) you know. It's not. It's not. It's not I didn't even
1: understand the word he said, but for Suetonius,
2: Suetonius
0: is a Roman writer, Greek writer. He
2: he was a um a Roman, yeah. He was Roman, and he was actually just basically a gossip. Um, it's just really Mm. entertaining. He writes about the um the emperor. It's very good. It's really (laughs) really Ah. entertaining. It's great. (laughs) It's great. I have read it. Okay. Okay. It's really fun. Yeah. Okay
0: but um i mean while simon's reading homer <laughs> in the original greek um when we're, we're reading it in blighton uh you can My tell
1: friend O2's. yeah that's where we are yeah
0: but i think with with especially with kids books young adult fiction it's a great way to engage with the language because the, the language levels aren't a, a still high, but not so high as to kind of put you off and you can work your way through it. And you, if you've got, if have got the same book in English, you can reference it back. So it's like, it's a cheap and, a, and quite effective way of, of learning a bit of the language. The problem obviously of reading is pronunciation. And you want to be careful of that if you haven't heard it. And then you start trying to read what it sounds like you're invariably going to get it wrong but i think reading skills like learning to speak's important but reading writing those are the two skills that a lot of a lot of uh, second third language speakers have trouble with and i think they're really worth investing some time in so yeah i think it's not a bad idea if we're gonna get some free literature off of a, a public bookshelf
1: That brings us to the end of the show we are going to hunt for some missing billions down the back of simon's sofa there's gold in them there
0: cushions um if you're enjoying the podcast why not give us a rating on apple podcasts which only takes a minute and can really help us you can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome or lowercase on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dillion at Dillialgamer, and you can tweet me at 40%German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All we'll I have to say is thanks and bis next nächsten Mal. Cheers! Cheers. Cheers.